folks, uh, and welcome to Jersey, the independent Rangers podcast by fans, for fans, for all the content is absolutely free. Coming to you in association with Forest Precision Engineering. My name is Alec Anderson and I'll be your host this evening, Friday the 10th of February, as we ask, what do the Scottish Cup and Partick Thistle mean to us? What are the main differences so far between Michael Beale and Giovanni Van Bronckhorst Rangers? Uh, are we as a support too confident about uh, Sunday's match? How many regulars should we rest uh, for this game on Sunday before it gets a bit risky? And of course, just to be highly original this week, what about that European Super League gift? If nothing else, has it made us realise we're all just about winning lots of silver shiny trophies rather than getting stuffed by big famous foreign clubs? Uh, before I bring in my, my special guest, I must mention our sponsors, of course. Forest Precision Engineering, established in 1983, is a leading precision engineering and special purpose machinery manufacturer based in Glasgow. Their services and precision engineering are available to companies all over Scotland and throughout the UK. They are leading manufacturers of special purpose machinery for a range of applications, and their website is at Forest Precision engineering.com. They're big friends of Rangers uh, and they have a stunning new hospitality area within the Ibrox main stand. For information on how to book the Forest Precision Executive Lounge, a unique and intimate space, email the club via hospitality at rangers.co.uk. Now, unfortunately tonight, um, before I bring Patrick in, uh, quite sadly, we've got a few sad uh, bits of news this week. So I have to mention uh, Billy Thompson, uh, the, the passing of Billy Thompson earlier this week. I was along at the the Rangers uh, B team game at Dumbarton on Tuesday night. It was a lovely minute's silence observed by the, the, the young lads uh, on Tuesday night. I'm sure it'll be the same again uh, on Sunday because Billy Thompson um, started his career as a goalkeeper at Partick Thistle. I didn't actually realise this uh, until I, I saw um, the obituaries to him this week. Only 64 years of age, uh, far too young. Billy Thompson, he, he, he came to Rangers in the last stages of his career purely as, as backup to Andy Gorham. So he only had a handful of appearances uh, in the, the league. But I was there that night. Um, a, a lot of us around my age were, he come on for the second half against Juventus uh, in the Champions League. And that was a, a bad night for the club. Uh, but no fault of Billy Thompson's. Um, Juventus, a, a great side, Viale, Ravanelli, Del Piero, they went on to win the Champions League uh, that season. But... I think it proved the respect that Billy Thompson was held in when Walter Smith had gone to him. We lost we lost Andy Gorham in that game to injury. We could bring on a man who at that point was one of only two uh, Scottish goalkeepers who had actually previously played in a European final, two active Scottish goalkeepers um, who'd played in a European final. Um, Billy Thompson, when I was growing up, I was a kid. Um, I was maybe 10, 11. He's, he's in his early 20s. I, I primarily remember him as a keeper with St Mirren and then Dundee United. Um, and he played in the, the UEFA Cup final, United in 1987. And he actually made his name um, and, a, and a good European run for that great St Mirren team of the early 80s. And they, they played against the likes of uh, San Etienne in Europe and, and, and Billy Thompson acquitted himself um, brilliantly as always. Uh, really sad to see him to see him go. And as, as we know, um, he, he then went on to coach at Rangers and he, he trained uh, the likes of Stefan Kloss and Alan McGregor, who I think along with Andy Gorham and, and Chris Woods, uh, are probably two of the greatest goalkeepers I've, I've ever seen uh, in my life. So it, a fantastic effect in, in all of Scottish football and, and a really sad loss. And just on behalf of everybody at Jersey, we'd like to pass all our condolences, condolences to uh, the, the Thompson family. And also, I uh, have to say that the death of John McMillan, the, the former president of the Rangers Supporters Association, um, later on uh, this week, uh, he was 89, John, uh, when, when he passed away. Really sad news. And everything the club's been through, um, and this century, really, 
uh, particularly around about 2012. There's a lot of people coming forward, uh, myself included, uh, wanting to have our say, supposedly on behalf of, of the entire range of support. But I think there's only one man who really all range of supporters were, were glad to be represented by, proud to be represented by, um, and that, that, that was John McMillan. He, he'd come across um, as a really, a really down-to-earth man. Um, he, he saw the, the, the more as a duty and a responsibility, very, very humble, um, when he was talking on behalf of uh, Rangers, it certainly wasn't part of any kind of uh, profile-raising agenda. He might have had like a lot of the people um, who've been talking on behalf of Rangers over the last few years, and he was, it was pretty much the epitome of everything uh, that, that a Rangers supporter should be. So it was really, really sad news. And I'm sorry to have to start like that, but it's just been it's been that kind of week. Um, so it's it's great for me um, as a, as an old boy who's been hit hard by a, a, the, the passing of a few a few familiar figures this week to be able to introduce. Uh, Patrick Caskey, a man whose youth is something I'm going to be really self-conscious about uh, all night and go on about endlessly, Patrick. So first things first, I, I see from trolling your Twitter account, you're a bit of a basketball fan. I asked Stuart Weir about the NFL last week. I'm going to have to ask you about uh, LeBron's NBA records. What did you think of that? No, fantastic. Um, I think obviously he's a one-of-a-kind athlete. Uh, he's either 1A or 1B uh, depending on your take. And I'm probably your age. It's generational thing of best basketball player of all time, whether it's him or Michael Jordan. And then given, as as we'll mention earlier, as we go on, um, Rangers in the mid-2010s wasn't great. Uh, the club was still the club, but there weren't exactly players you could idolize. So as someone trying to look for someone to look up to in, in an athletic capacity, LeBron was one of the guys who um, I looked up to personally because we didn't have the, the McCoys, so the Andy Gorhams, the Richard Guffs at, at the time. So you had to look outside of your sort of club you support and look to individuals. And I think he's probably the epitome of uh, sort of a complete human being when it comes to both basketball and off the court. So I was very happy to see him play. I did not manage to wake up at 5am to watch it, but I did spend a, a good hour or two seeing all the, the great messages on Twitter afterwards. Oh, bro. Yeah, I'm, I'm just pretending that I know anything about uh, <laughs> basketball, uh, Patrick, to make it to make myself seem young and trendy, like I hang about with you. But um, it's I, 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 I get what you're talking about. It actually goes back to Billy Thompson. When I, when I was a kid, kind of growing up, Rangers were in a really bad phase, mostly. And um, Billy Thompson used to come in. Thompson always annoys me. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, guys going about in the the retro Rangers kits, and they, they, they wear that one from the kind of 78 to 82 period, which is the kind of multicoloured collar, kind of floppy collar and V-neck. Which uh, I think people think is really cool and kind of you know the, the epitome of kind of retro trendiness, but it always just fills me with horror because we were a, we were a terrible team at that point, and it was St Mirren and Dundee United were finishing above us in the league at that time. Billy Thomas would come out and have blonde hair, he's well over six foot, really lanky, um, wearing these kind of super trendy Adidas kits that that St Mirren and United had uh, at that time, and I always thought he, he looked like a German or. So I think the highest compliment you can pay to anybody uh, from from Linwood, especially, is that they didn't they didn't look in any way Scottish, you know. Uh, they looked like kind of what, and it was it was somebody you kind of looked up to uh, and admired. So I, I can I, I definitely get the vibe there, and I've also got to ask you. Obviously, I see you're a, a, a fan of the, the the popular music, you know, as somebody who likes a bit of ragtime and the big band sound. Uh, myself, you know, um, I would have to ask you, what did you think we Rangers uh, tying up with a trendy kind of hipster cutting edge artist ACDC? Um, did you like that? Or if not, would you have any recommendations yourself? No, this was something I was completely taken aback by. Not in terms of the, the collab. The collab kind of came out of nowhere. Obviously, there's a Scottish roots because obviously the original lead singer was Scottish as far as I'm aware. But I thought people like like my dad and my uncle, two things they love are, are Rangers. And I don't know if he loves ACDC specifically, but I remember listening to a lot in the car that, that he and my mum would put on. So I thought people of his age and just general people would be very excited about the collab. It, it obviously would be a bit 
out there because it's a, it's a musician and a, and a football club collab. But I still thought these were two things that probably hit the sort of, you look at social media algorithms for a lot of Rangers fans, ACBC and Rangers will be two things that tick the boxes. And I thought uh, perhaps the timing wasn't great. I think that's what most people were in gripes with. I don't think the designs were particularly bad. Castor's had a, quite a few poor designs. I don't think these were bad uh, per se, um, but I did think these would go down a bit better. As for artists um, to collab with, I'm not sure. I think we've seen there's two or three guys who've been signed up to play Edmondson House already, so you can get them as a good idea. The music I listen to will probably be frowned upon by the majority of the Rangers fans, and they probably wouldn't want to associate with the club. So we'll still we'll still clear of me getting um, sort of advertising and sponsorship opportunities with musicians. <laughs> great, right? Yeah, I thought it's quite funny. Um, we're having the arguments uh, early on the season about Rangers continually bringing out more kits and monetizing the fans, and I was. I, I don't have kids, but I don't understand uh, you know, dads who feel obliged to buy their, their kids every kit uh, that Rangers release. Uh, and I noticed that a lot of them were very, very quiet when it came to the ACDC kit. Uh, like, I don't think they were rushing out to buy that one uh, for the kids. But personally, I, I wrote to James Bisgrove. I thought if we're going to be represented by anybody, um, there's a man who's, as you say, much younger than the, the, the lead singer of ACDC, uh, tours Britain much more regularly in ACDC, who've kind of betrayed Scotland and, and, and moved over to the you know, penal, penal colony over there. And I, I think the, the only reason that we haven't teamed up with, with Daniel O'Donnell, it must be down to, you know, the Rangers board going back to their own their old habits. I mean, Daniel O'Donnell just releases so many albums every year, you know, he's, 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 he's a, a total mainstay of the British music scene. And I, I think um, we've got to have a look at ourselves. I thought we'd we'd get rid of all that with uh, the, the signing of Morris Johnson, but never mind. Um, I'm going, sorry, I'm going to uh, try and get back on the planet Earth here. Um, I'm enjoying myself too much, Patrick. Can't have a, a transfer and... Uh, tactics good at yourself on the program without asking you um what you think of Michael Beale's kind of vision and uh, his blueprint and his, his progress so far. Um do you feel the squad you know is, is looking good after the, the kind of January transfer? I mean I think we're going to be talking about the January transfer window basically until the summer transfer window opens. Uh, I was I was asking Stuart about it last week. But I have to ask you how do you think only one player of kind of any kind of note leaving, only two coming in, um how do you think this is fitting in with the, what Bill's trying to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll obviously discuss the January window until the summer window, but I think this January window can probably only be um, evaluated properly given time, and especially what we do in the summer. Because um, if we perhaps missed out, or not missed out, but delayed and deferred us going to buy a goalkeeper or a striker or a right winger on the basis that we found someone and they'd be better positioned to go and sign for us in the summer, fantastic if it was a uh, on the basis that we couldn't find anyone and we have no idea what we're going to do in the summer then that's a bit of a failure so uh the two people we did bring in happy with both raskin more so than cantwell not to say cantwell's not not good and, and exciting but i've just watched more of raskin and written about him in the past so that was nice to see um and, and those two are sort of archetypal deals hopefully that we get to go through for, uh moving forward both relatively cheap Young, high potential. Cantwell has shown flashes of actual ability far beyond what we need. And if he's able to rekindle to that, he will give us uh, some good memories and go for a healthy profit because he is sort of the perfect profile for us to sell because the, the main people shopping in the upper echelons of Scotland, basically South Korean Rangers, are effectively just uh, English Premier League teams or that's who we want to sell to, ideally. Um, and Raskin perhaps doesn't have the English, but he has the three years younger than Cantwell. And he looks fantastic. I think the, the 10 minutes we saw him last week was a bit exciting and whetted the, the palace for everyone going forward. But uh, most certainly, there certainly could have been a few more players brought in if we were talking about trying to win the league. But even then, I think we're probably 
three or four players away from having a complete squad. And I don't think any amount of players that we sign could make other teams better as the basis of us having any chance of winning the league and doing the treble would be on Celtic dropping points out with the games against us because we have two against them. And if we win two, oh, that's fantastic. Even if we win one and draw at them, that's also very good. But it still leaves us um, four or six points away because we have to consider their goal difference is 11 or 12 better than us. And that's as good as a point. So um, at this point, it's beyond our own control. So um, I'm not looking at other clubs' January windows and critiquing them, but they didn't get good enough to beat Celtic. But I do think that we're perhaps six months away um, from having a good squad, hopefully knock on wood post-summer transfer window. I think you're absolutely right. That, that point you're making there about other teams needing to take points off Celtic if we're going to win this league. Um, I, I think that the fact that Celtic lost kind of fairly early on in the season to St Mirren and uh, drew ourselves uh, when we're used to when we've had a recent unbeaten league season by Celtic and then ourselves. I think it's maybe kind of distracted us from the fact that they just win every other game. They've only dropped points. Uh, in two games this season and it's like I don't even bother checking this I used to ex excitedly check the score to see how somebody was getting on against them just just not worth it anymore um, so yeah I think that's a, unfortunately that's a, a spot on point you're making Bill um, in terms of you know as I say I, I'm no tactical guru myself um, I loved to, to to go on about how confused I was in, in, in the best possible sense by what we did at, at Tynecastle the, the kind of movement the fluidity I don't know if someone like yourself who maybe studies that aspect of the game a bit more than me sees it that way is it more a case of I'm, I've been so used to the rigidity of <laughs> even even the, the Gerrard system and uh, particularly the Geo system that any kind of movement up front just makes kind of blows me away my eyes can't handle it what, what do you think he's trying to do in an attacking sense or is it just kind of horses for courses and he's 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 very fluid himself Bill? no I, I think any change will be welcomed and I don't think he's ripped up trees per se relative to especially what Gerrard did uh, and to a lesser extent Geo but there are differences and those differences range between very subtle and more obvious. I think the most obvious was just the almost borderline sort of paradoxical look of how when Cantwell and Kent, I think it was against Ross County, um, when they were just wing swapping every five minutes and there were those, it was basically positionless football, which a lot of people say is what the game is trending to in any capacity in which there's just complete sort of players have skills and they're plugged in and, and doing so. And it worked well for us. It was, it was fun on the eye. It manufactured quite a lot of chances. We saw also Morales taking place in that and we saw sort of completely fluid front three, which was fun. Uh, it might have much like playing out of the back scared and frightened a few of the older older gentlemen uh, and ladies, just on the basis that it's so different and the striker should stay in the box and score their goals. I mean, we saw that just as Gio arrived and Morelos started scoring again. People were like, thank God Morelos isn't playing at a defensive mid anymore. And now we see Morelos playing like that again and, and he's playing well. Um, but yeah, I think perhaps if we want to look at sort of a case study as to what Beal's done, we can just look at Ryan Kent and uh, both freedom he's been given uh, positionally because under Gio, he was uh, sort of supposed to stay wide and play very much as a traditional winger, which you would think would play to his strengths, because what is he good at? He's good at taking players on and creating chances, and he's not fantastic at scoring or getting into scoring positions, or even his shot selection is almost so frustrating, because you'll see many a time where you think he should shoot, but he takes out a touch, does a Ronaldo chop or something, and then ends up sort of fizzling out. So you would have thought that would have been his best position, but now we see him uh, sort of assuming a more central position, like a wide 10, giving more roam, playing within the width of the penalty box, which gives him less distance. So it's easier for him to play with Morelos, uh, short distances. And also when we have players running off him from the midfield, also 
shorter distance from this playoff and, and he's great in tight spaces so uh, he's thriving uh, he's added a few goals I think since Beal's come and he scored two which must have been as many as he scored under Gio in the sort of 11 months but we've also seen him rack up a, a literary of assists which has been good and I think he's probably been sort of the emblematic change um, hopefully he continues to do so and obviously there's been some movement as to a contract or a lack thereof and it seems that we're in a decent position but that's relative to if you trust who's saying that but um i think hopefully we see him continue to trend upwards and sign a new deal um but i do think his sort of position is freedomless and or lack of it. yeah the freedom but also the sort of expectation to stay narrow relative to the extreme width he played with under geo is probably the best example of what we've done it's just a subtle position change we're not asking him to do much more different. We're just putting him in a position to be more successful. We've seen that with other players like Tav and Glenn Kamara as well. And that's, I think the, the difference it makes on the eye, from, from what, if, you, if you're used to watching Rangers with any kind of intensity, and I think I'm screaming, oh, he's, he's everywhere, Kent's everywhere, and, and he isn't. He's, he's not everywhere. He's just so much more, so much more, covering so much more space than than he was uh, under the, the the previous manager. But yeah, we'll need to get on to the, the Scottish Cup itself. Um Thistle, if, if we went out to Thistle, I mean, I, I think it would be pretty much an, an unmitigated disaster. No disrespect to them. Um, it would brutally reframe kind of Beale's tenure when it's still fairly nascent. Um, putting the, the particulars of Sunday's match to the side for the moment, how important is the Scottish Cup to yourself, Patrick? And I know, I mean, when I, again, I'm doing the age thing. When I was growing up, you know, when I, when I first remember football, it was like 1977 onwards, Rangers were uh, in eight successive finals. I kind of grew up first watching it on the television and then I went to the last couple, which, I mean, only won, we only won half of those uh, eight finals, but it was just a kind of staple of kind of guaranteed, you know, glory almost, or a, or a big day out at the end of the season. I'm imagining it's been uh, different for yourself. So how important um, is the Scottish Cup to yourself and how important should it be to Rangers, both historically and for this season? Yeah, I mean, my experience is probably a complete juxtaposition to the one you just mentioned on the basis that it was almost a nothing for the vast majority. I think most people have a collective memory of football once they're sort of 10 or 11. Anything beyond that is just blurs and stuff like that. So I remember obviously 2009, but very subtle images of it. Um, I was seven at the time, so I don't actually remember watching the full game, but I remember obviously watching it back, the, the nine men win, which was great. Um, but after that, it's just a sort of collective patchwork of failure mixed in with relative success, obviously, like two of my favourite football memories um, are semi-finals in the Scottish Cup, the, the Celtic 2-2 and the penalty win in, in 2015 it was. And last year, the the old firm in the semi-finals, which I was lucky enough to go to because it was on the day after my birthday. So my my flatmate and I were sat in the um, hospitality bit of Hamden and that was quite fun. Uh, very, 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 very tiring. The full 120 minutes, I can't imagine what the players were doing. But yeah, it's almost this sort of elus- elusive piece of silverware which should be brought back on a semi-regular maybe annual or biannual basis um obviously traded with the the, the league cup as well but it's just sort of alluded as at least in, in my lifetime or my active football watching lifetime uh but we have been a bit more successful in the last few years but ultimately has been sort of to our own heartbreak where we built up we've got to a semi-final or a final i think it was aberdeen where, where lewis ferguson scores the header in the 89th minute that was either the Scottish Cup or the League Cup, but regardless, yeah, I think that's a good, good microcosm of our, our of our fate in the last few years. Um, but I do think, on the basis that uh, getting, let's say, the League Cup obviously is in two weeks, and that's really important for Beal because he's able to set um, sort of put his foot down this early in, ensure that 
on the basis of what he's been here, but being the best team in, in Scotland if he wins that cup and we have uh, sort of maintained parity with Celtic in the league. And if we were able to bring a, a Scottish cup as well, you'd have to sort of flip the conversation when it comes to May. And let's say if we keep some sort of pace right now with Celtic and obviously end up losing the league, sadly, if we take two cups home, and, and more specifically in bigger the Scottish Cup, you have to consider who's had the better season, per se, at least on the basis of the last six months, because we'll break our season into two specific ones. The first one, not great with the Champions League disaster and Geo coming out. But then we look to the second half in which you've had a new manager, and it's really all sunshines and roses, hopefully. Um, so this will obviously be the first bit uh, on getting to that. And obviously, in two weeks with the League Cup final, that'll be the more important one. But I do think Partick this will offer something uh, on the basis that I think Beale had said this is almost like a free hit for them and it is probably the textbook definition of a free hit. They're coming to a nice big stadium. It's close. They'll bring tons of fans. They'll be loud. I'm not really clued in as to their their form in, in the league, but they've got a few guys who can do something. I think Scott Tiffany is one who in the championship looks really, really good, obviously. He's not been able to replicate in the premiership. so, But they're not without good players. I think Brian Graham is someone who it might give like Ben Davies a, tr- uh, a bit of a bit of trouble because he is sort of like the classic target man Scottish football kind of trading with elbows. Um, but no, I do think the Scottish Cup is important. You would hope that this would be a relatively low-key and stressless affair. But again, if, if our cup logic pro- proves anything over the past few years or even sort of the past half decade that, that we don't really trade in, in stressless games. Yeah, I, I feel as if... Uh, that Lewis Ferguson, that was the League Cup semi-final, that, that one. So I felt as if when we beat Aberdeen uh, at Hamden a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. again in, in the League Cup semi-final, that was a kind of catharsis for that. Winning the Scottish Cup itself last season was was catharsis, I think, partly for Seville um, a few days earlier, but mostly just for our form at Hamden generally. As you're saying, it's, it's been horrendous since we come back. And it's always kind of symbolic. Rangers at Hamden, it should be, you know, we're winning more than we're losing. Uh, when we, get, we should always be getting there. Uh, we should be getting most of the time. We're getting on to the final, and um, it should it should be, we're winning more finals uh, than we're losing. I think also for me, I can't help it. Um, Celtic, I think, are six behind Celtic in the all-time Scottish Cup winners list. They've got uh, we've won it thirty-four times. They've won it forty. I think it's the year I was born, um, nineteen sixty-nine. Celtic gubbed us four 0 in the Scottish Cup final to win the treble, and also to uh, I think. Equalised. I think it was the last time we were level with them um, on Scottish Cups, and they, they went ahead of us uh, after that. So I'm just, a, I'm just a massive jinx. So if uh, the Scottish Cup, if we could somehow start bringing it back home on a, a regular basis, that would, that would suit me well. My whole life, I've been trying to catch up with Celtic. It's the only one of the, the major Scottish trophies that they've won uh, more often than us. Um, as you say, I think no Europe post Christmas. Uh, the league. I mean, so it could be over soon. I don't want to too downhearted. So it gives us, it gives the fans something to look forward to for the rest of the season. Helps Bill uh, maintain that momentum and kind of segue in with the upcoming League Cup final. Nasty question, kind of horrible question. I think needs to be asked: Are we still at the st- the, the, the stage and our kind of development from 2012? You know, getting get ourselves back up to speed after 2012, where you know stopping Celtic winning a treble is that is that, it's a priority we don't want to admit to, but it's maybe the kind of first stop for us each season. I was quite, you're talking about that semi-final last season at Hamden, that was one of the first things that came to my mind. It wasn't just about Rangers progressing and beating world rivals, it was a case of they'd so recently won four straight trebles. We're still kind of, you know, maybe 55 seasons kind of, again, had us thinking too much of ourselves. Are we still at that stage where just to make sure we get even the League Cup sorted by the end of the month takes a big pressure off us? 
yeah, you would have hoped um, 2020, 2021 was us turning a new leaf when we just got everyone in the league. But then also we had given up both cups and we have to really look back at it in a revisionist sense and say, we only won one trophy and that obviously isn't in, in, in any other in any other year really Celtic would have taken two and they would have had some sort of consolation. But I think in the hierarchy of priorities, beginning at this season, I would have my first thought would have not been stop Celtic winning the treble, it would have been us winning the treble. But as is and how well they've been playing, which we have to admit, obviously. Uh, yeah, the current thing is obviously with we you can phrase it two ways, stop Celtic winning the treble, or we want to pick up the cup double. Um, the, the optimist and the one looking within our own sort of positive will say, let's do the cut double. But I think uh, perhaps it's not as important, but it's sort of creeping up there. It is stopping Celtic winning the treble. It's sort of the classic argument. Do you like Rangers more or do you hate Celtic more? And I think this is the <laughs> perfect. If someone gives them the answer, I want to stop Celtic winning the treble, they'll, they'll hate Celtic more than like Rangers. And I think there's obviously a literary of, uh, answers to that question across the spectrum, but everyone will say, obviously, that winning the cup double will be important um, uh, in the sense that we pick up trip uh, silverware, maintain momentum, and obviously stop Celtic doing so. Um, but we're obviously at the point in which Celtic aren't guaranteed to make the Blue Cup final, nor are we. But if you're a betting favourite, you better be an old firm derby in, in both cup finals. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I must admit, I mean, anybody who knows me will tell you, I mean, I actually get slagged by a lot of Rangers fans for, for often holding the hand out uh, to, to Celtic fans. It's definitely, for me, it's uh, still, even despite everything that happened in 2012, more about loving Rangers um, than, than about despising Celtic. Um, but I, th- I think it's one of those, you know, you can't separate, if you just see this as our biggest rival, you know, as, as the only thing standing between us and kind of all-out glory season, if you like, we've got ourselves back to that stage. Another, another one of the kind of, to, to explain what I mean, one of those kind of dirty truths was when we first come back into the top flight. I think that's the only time in my life I've heard Rangers fans talking about second place being acceptable. You know, that was the one to having been, you know, for four seasons in the lower divisions, second place acceptable. And of course, straight away, we finished third both, both first seasons we come up. <laughs> yeah. And it was like Steven Gerrard takes us to a level straight away where we're looking at our failure to win the league the first two seasons under Gerrard and nobody was noticing the fact that we'd actually, you know, second place, we were so far in front of the third place teams each season that we'd kind of sorted out that problem that was a kind of problem Rangers never wanted to have. And I think it could be the same thing um, in terms of stopping Celtic winning a treble is still part of the journey, you know, um, that we may not want to admit to. But uh, again, not going into particulars of the game this Sunday just yet, Partick Thistle, um, geographically, I think they were, they were kind of closest rival uh, to Rangers. I know we now, you know, with the with the pyramid system and all that, strictly speaking, I think it's Ben Bourbon St Anthony's are, are closer um, than Partick Thistle, but it's a, a traditional kind of historic uh, rival. They're a really historic club. I think a lot of people wouldn't know that only the, the, the second kind of match in European football um, in Britain, the European Cup, was played at Firhill. And that's the sound of my computer about to run out of power. I forgot to plug it in, so saving the day there, like uh, like uh, Andy Gorham used to. Um, but I live, I live in a Partick Thistle heartland. You know, I'm surrounded... Uh, Two doors down, I see people kind of leaving the house all the time with, with thistle colours on. You know, I've been to Firhill three times this season already watching the Rangers youth team playing there uh, in, the, you know, in the European Youth League before I would go off to Ibrox and see the, the full team getting gubbed by Ajax, uh, Liverpool and Napoli. And we had some intense tussles with Partick Thistle at Firhill when we first come back into the top flight. They were only in it for two seasons. We kind of missed them in the way up and then they were dropped back out of the league after, after two seasons. I don't really seem to have a lot of kind of interaction with Partick Thistle and Rangers. What, what do they mean to you as a, as, as a club, uh, Patrick? Apart from a, a kind of better version, the, the Galatasaray and the, and the Mechelen kits, how do they feature in your kind of personal Rangers landscape? Yeah, I, throughout my lifetime, 
uh, as being a Rangers fan, we have hardly interacted. I think the only prevailing memory outside of the Atletico Madrid Rangers youth league game, where I think it was Rodrigo Raquelme, they played at Furhill, and he was absolutely fantastic. Nice. Uh, and that that was good. But was James Tavernier's really good goal uh, when we won 2 or 3 1 at Furhill? Uh, and I can't remember the return leg at Ibrox with. For the life of me, but I can remember Tavernier putting it top corner um, on BT Sport in like 2017. Um, additionally, it was always a, a joke. Obviously, I grew up outside of Scotland. And people, when we play FIFA, would see uh, Partick Bissell and think there was something to do with my name or I was from there. So that that's probably the only interaction outside of um, Tavernier's top bins goal. But yeah, it's one of those clubs in which just have completely missed us in, in our, our climb up. I think I think Green and Morton are a good example, which I don't think they hit us in any single capacity when we were going up the league table and they missed out on thousands of pounds doing so. Um, so Partha's not to the same extent. Um, I don't think we'll see them next season in the Premiership. I think they were touted to be one of the, the teams going for it for promotion in the Championship, but um, admittedly, we do have a really good title in the Championship and, and Queen's Park are top, so there might be a different Glasgow team to talk about soon. Exactly. I mean, that's if this will, uh, they're kind of 10 points behind a, a, another Glasgow team in hoops. So that's, uh, we're only nine points behind a, a much older, a much younger uh, Glasgow team in hoops, another team in Queen's Park. Uh, but I think to contrast the situation they're in just now ourselves, this will work in an uncomfortable fourth in that, that championship. Uh, the team's behind them, only two or three points behind them. So they're, they're just hanging on to a playoff, a promotion playoff spot when they dropped out of the league. Um, in 2018, they dropped at the top flight. They didn't show, they, they never really looked like coming back. They've never been close to promotion. They've actually dropped down into League One controversially. Uh, they, they dropped down yeah. into League One uh, the, the season was when the season was curtailed because of COVID. And um, they made their way back up under Ian McCall, uh, a man who, who knows his stuff. He's, he's like kind of, uh, their manager was over kind of 25 years in the game. I, I saw Ian McCall scoring for Rangers against Andy Gorham. Uh, Andy Gorham playing for Hibs. Uh, from the main stand, we beat Hibs one nothing. Uh, absolute cracker of a goal by Ian McCall um, back in I think it was nineteen eighty eight. So he he knows Rangers. He played for the club. He knows them well. I think this this worries me. We there is an attitude. I think I think it was coming out of Beale as well to a certain extent today. Even though he was saying all the right things in the press conference, this game's kind of a formality. Um, is this uh, a dangerous attitude? Is is it the wrong attitude? But uh, I, I I feel as if. Apart from maybe 55 season where we beat Cove, we hammered Cove, and then we beat Celtic um, at Ibrox. We then went on to go to St. Johnson. We've, even when we've been winning Scottish Cup games or League Cup games at Ibrox recently, the, the, the past kind of, I don't know, five, six years, we've never, we're rarely impressed uh, at home in these games. Um, so are we wrong? It feels if uh, Sunday should be a kind of formality. Well, I think if we're looking at the, the club facing and player facing approach, that's never the right answer, is that the game should be a formality. Uh, you and I can say it's a formality. Yeah. We can definitely tell We can definitely tell to the opposition fans it's a formality at our own behest of us then losing and getting sort of pie in our face. But I, I understand why they're doing so. Obviously, you've mentioned particularly so aren't exactly in the best position. They're not the worst position in the championship. And we've built up a nice piece of form. Um, but even still, it's the, it's the nature of the cup. Uh, I know, I think it's the FA, English FA Cup line is the magic of the cup in which anything can happen. Uh, and stranger things have happened, but I, I do think perhaps if we look at our previous league uh, or our previous cup games against lower lower league opposition in the past year, I forget who it was at the beginning of this season when we won two one, and it was an absolutely terrible game. Uh, Sakala played poorly, and then last year with Sterling Albion we won three 0 but wasn't exactly the most comfortable. No. And in a way, it was decent. It was probably the mm. the prodigal return or 
performance of Aaron Ramsey, which we never saw again. And we saw Zukowski play uh, for him to never put on probably a Rangers shirt again in his career. We, we, did, we did see it. It did happen. <laughs> yeah, outside of, I think it was the Cove Rangers 4-0. And we beat Falkirk quite easily, I think it was. And Bassey got his, his debut goal in the in the 55 season. We haven't, unless I'm missing, I probably will be missing some of the, maybe if we, if we dropped someone quite substantially, but I don't think it's been to the sort of ease or the extent which we would hope so when we're taking on these lower league teams. And that's a compliment to them that they make it, perhaps not a game, but they make it not a fully plain sailing. Um, Partick Thistle, as we said, have some players of interest, but yeah, I think it's uh, the only way we lose is if we probably play down to their level. We tinker with the squad a bit too much, although you would say that the, a team has sort of 1A or 1B in terms of the best squad in Scotland, probably 1B at this point, and I don't think many Rangers fans would disagree that Celtic squad is on the whole slightly stronger, that we could probably perform any sort of concoction of 11 players with, who are sort of earning a wage at Rangers and put out a team that should handle part of this so comfortably. Um, obviously, that was something we discussed is who's to play, but I think really it would be some sort of concoction of several failings and sort of death by a thousand cuts for us to lose to Partick Thistle. Um, and I think if anything, it would probably happen in the 90th minute and we'd all go home very sad. But I, I do really don't see that universe happening in any capacity. I know. I, I think, it, well, as you were saying, they're bringing so far. It's it was two thousand fans, and it's two and a half thousand fans. And again, kind of taking they haven't gone from Fir Hill three times this season to see us then stuffed at Ibrox in Europe. I'm taking a bit of that, you know, kind of mood with me. And like, they're probably going to be the biggest support of away support we've seen at Ibrox this season after Liverpool, and um, probably the worst night I ever had. <laughs> I'm, it's, it's, it's a short journey for them. See, nothing to lose. Uh, I think the last time we played them in the Scottish Cup, I think was that 2007, 2008 when they. It was a draw. There's no replays this season, but it was a, we had to go back to Fir Hill um, replay that season. Um, we've actually played Partick Thistle in the Scottish Cup final twice. Partick Thistle's only two Scottish Cup finals. Uh, they beat us in the first one uh, in 1921, and uh, it took us to a replay to, to narrowly beat them uh, the second time we met them was back in 1930. They're one of those clubs, I think St Johnston, East Fife, St Mirren. There's maybe another who've won the Scottish Cup and the League Cup but haven't actually been champions of Scotland. They're, there's, there's, uh, there's definitely a bit of kind of heft about Thistle uh, historically, and I just feel as if we've kind of struggled to, to put away sides who don't necessarily come at us. Not just under Michael Beale recently, but um, obviously kind of the, the past couple of seasons. And I, I, I just feel as if they're not actually much worse than Ross County, who gave us a you know the, the kind of the, the drop in standards from basically the kind of you know even the kind of I don't know third fourth place in the Premiership down to the middle of the championship, there's, there's probably not much of a drop in, in, in standard there. So I think there's, there's potential there if, if we're not on it. And you say, I think it was Queen of South in the League Cup this season. We struggled. Yes, Dun, yeah. Dun, Dundee and the, the League Cup. That was a terrible game. Steve Davis scored early and we just looked like we couldn't wait to give it away thereafter. It was a, an awful game. But uh, hopefully the Bills going to have them uh, champing at the bit. And on that, given the fact we don't, we don't kind of seem fit enough after it's been reported that Gio wasn't, you know, giving them an intense enough kind of pre-season. I don't know, does everyone need to maintain a kind of building match sharpness, um, this new kind of one game per week schedule? Do you think it's best that Nicholas Raskin is the only player we can get minutes into the legs of? Should we, should we be going out with a kind of full team to keep them sharp and maybe building them up for the League Cup final and for this, this game at Livingston? Or should we be resting a few? What do you think? Yeah, I would definitely give... If we're looking at players who haven't been involved substantially in the last two or three game weeks, so Cantwell 
on the basis that he arrived to a few, few weeks earlier, we'll just say he's part of the em- embedded squad and sort of the first team rotation. Outside of that, yeah, I think Raskin has a future there and he will, when he's up to fitness and up to sharp, I think he'll probably start. I think he's definitely of the quality to start. Um, so I do think this is probably the perfect game to get him sort of his minutes to his legs on the basis that he will see a lot of time on the ball and that's the best thing for getting sort of readjusted to playing it is having your touches, playing with your teammates, because uh, I would expect us to have upwards of 75, 80% of possession maybe even. Um, so if we allow him to get almost sort of, if we have possession for 50, 60 minutes of the game, considering that football, despite being played for 90 minutes, hardly ever gets 90 minutes of possession time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see him sort of develop passing combinations, play with other two players and sort of, sort of, sort of get used to the game model per se. I think that'll be really important to see him play a full 90, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets subbed off at 60 or 70 on the basis that people in the sports science department probably have some sort of formula on the basis of how much you've played, how much you've trained, what's the acceptable minute sort of percentage of the game they can play. Uh, outside of that, I think if we look at other players, um, the strikers, I wouldn't, I don't, it's a toss up really. I think both would equally be likely to score. I think probably the one player who I wouldn't play in this game and it's not a fitness concern would probably be Sakala. Uh, I, I love Sakala, as many would probably find out if, if they follow me on Twitter. Um, but I think he is not suited for the slow game at all, especially uh, one who, which will probably set up with a 5 3 2 or something like that. Flood sort of just plays super deep, two low blocks or, or two blocks of five almost, low blocks, limited space between. And for as much as he is good on the ball, his skills aren't great when cramped in with three players around him just outside the penalty box. Uh, he's much better with an explosive game, which has greater spaces between the lines in which he can penetrate. So I really don't think this is game. Inevitably, anyone who plays should do well just on the basis that we are we are the better team and Sakala could definitely play it and, and play well. I just think if we're looking at the sort of risk rewards, I think playing someone who who's more akin and more sort of capable in tight spaces, playing quick interplay, um, that probably better suited to our fortunes. Um, so one could say Scott Wright could be that. I think what would be nicer is Alex Lowry play a sort of prolonged cameo that um, maybe can, not even a cameo, so it's more of a full ninety-minute performance. As that's someone who is always always want to see play, um, much like all the the Rangers Academy products. But I think Scott Wright or Lowry um, instead of Scala could be fine. Tillman on the right, but I don't think he's best on the right, and he's playing really well. So I'd rather keep him central where, where he's thriving. Um, but outside of that, I think again you could put the sixteen players, put them in a random number generator, and generate it, and you probably won't get a wrong answer. Oh, oh, you're right. The one, the one that's getting me is is uh, John Lundstrom's out. I was confirmed uh, by Beal in the the presser today. Lundstrom's uh, is out for now, and that eleventh minute substitution uh, last week against Ross County when when uh, Lundstrom was injured and they brought on Tillman, we're all expecting it to be Sakala. That seemed a lot of us had wanted. Um, sorry, thought it was going to be Kamara. Uh, beg your pardon, but. A lot of us had been thinking, not myself particularly, but I see a lot of the, the, the talk on Twitter had been, why do we need to go with two sitting, so to speak, against uh, somebody like Ross County, who who came out much more than they're given credit for. They actually they came to kind of play in their own way last week. There was no you know, kind of deep, uh, deep, deep uh, block going on there. Do you think that this, this means... It, we're bringing on Tillman instead of Kamara last week, um, a move that he says almost surprised himself, uh, Bill. Are we going to let Raskin play on his own as a kind of single pivot and as, as a six on his own at this stage of his career? I was this stage of his this stage of his his fitness. I'm really kind of confused about what the options are going to be there. I would rather see him kind of babysat by Jack or Kamara um, on Saturday. Uh, sorry, on on Sunday. But 
as you say, the way Thistle are much more likely to go, they're going much more likely to go to the kind of, kind of low block than, than Ross County were. Do you think maybe just Raskin on his own and as a, as a kind of sitter and then it's all out attack from everybody else? Long term, definitely. Yes, long term, 100%. I think that could work on the basis that he acclimatises well to Scottish football and there's an abundance of evidence in Belgian football which is perhaps not as physical, but it's almost there. It is for as much as the sort of the Benelux game gets a lot lauded for its passing, which it does, it is also very physical. Um, obviously, Scotland, I think, is a complete outlier and probably to its own um, negative in which Arthur's calf sort of meanders into, into violence at some points. Not like outright punches thrown, but some bad tackles, which we might see. So on that basis on Saturday, I'm not exactly sure who Partick would line up with in the midfield. Um, but I would assume that one or two of them play professional football on the basis that they are great athletes, perhaps on the lack thereof of skill. Um, so we might see a few crunching tackles. So we might want someone to sit by him, I think Ryan Jack, perhaps just to show him the the ways of how Scottish lower league teams play, not to sort of be offensive to Partick Thistle. It'll probably be a sort of game and a, and a game modelling which Raskin will have not encountered in Belgium, maybe in their equivalent of the, the league of the League of the Scottish Cup in Belgium in their cup when they play someone from the fourth or the third division, but still I think someone who's perhaps a bit more streetwise and can help him, not to say that Raskin can sort of adapt on his own, that's one of his best balls is his adaptability and his diversity of skills and variety. But I do think there is a question to be had of the fact that maybe just have someone who understands what's going to be thrown at them um, to play alongside Raskin. But again, if we line up with something like um, Raskin, Campbell, Tillman, that would be great on the basis that we're playing uh, how we should, not on the basis of the opposition, because this should be a game in which we provide ample opportunity and ample profiles for us to profit off their sort of extended possession we're going to get. But if I was to pick the three, I would probably play Raskin at the six, play Kamara at the eight, just because he provides that sort of dexter duality of being able to sort of provide uh, a double pivot at times when they want to bring into that. But then he can also do some stuff in the final third, which Jack admittedly can do different things in the final third, but I think Kamara's qualities there might be more appropriate to what we see against Partick Thistle. He's better holding the ball in prolonged extended periods of possession and he almost has that quality of slipping through uh, banks of five or banks of four what we might see and breaking those lines whereas Jack is more of a run direct pure box to box um, and then Tillman is a 10 but I don't think you can really go wrong in that many co- uh, combinations um, but if we're looking at it for a long term I'd like to see Rathen playing as a six. Yeah, I think I, you're talking about the Benelux countries there. I, I felt as if there was a few bookmarks um, to our great European runs uh, of the last few seasons. Like when we, one of them I think was the loss to Progress Niedercorn, and we seemed to for the next few seasons just take total revenge on the whole <laughs> the Benelux region. Um, we we're doing absolutely fantastically until we met Ajax, and then uh, uh, this season, and that was uh, the beginning of the end. But anybody um, who, who doubts that, as you say, they can have. Uh, combative nature uh, of the Belgian league should, it's going a few years back now, but it's the worst tackle come assault I've ever seen Axel Witzel for standard leaves <laughs> against Anderlecht. Oh my God. Uh, the, the, the guy's leg, I don't know who it was. He, it he, might have he, been um, Stephen de Fort because I think they have a, a rivalry. It might be that and I think they played it once, but I, don't quote me on that, but uh, that could be it. 
Yeah, that was it was absolutely. It's one of those ones you did. You, you, you realise what he's done to the guy's leg, and you have to look away quickish, and you, you know why Axel Witzel kind of went to play abroad shortly after that. <laughs> it wasn't just for the money; it was to get the hell out of Belgium. Um, I, he's he'll be all right, Raskin. He's, he's he's had a good education when it comes to that side of the game. Cholak and Morelos. You think we're going to see the two of them? Cholak, come on, the last couple of games, I know he's coming back from injury. Come on, at Tyne Castle, come on. Uh, and Saturday, and he, he looked like he was towing. You know, he actually looked like he's towing Alfredo Morelos uh, behind him. He was he's very very slow. Looking. Do you think any chance of seeing the two of them? We could could on the basis that if you're going to throw it on, you're going to do it in this game in which is sort of low low stakes. But I don't think we can carry two strikers in the sense that uh, it's well documented Cholak's not great in possession. And I think we're going to see a lot of possession 10 yards from the goal trying to break down what is just a siege box. And I don't think we can carry two forwards who, who sort of trade in their ability in the penalty box. Uh, Morales is obviously great, great in linking up. It's perhaps the sort of unique factor in which makes his profile so, so great and better than what we've had at the club since he's been here pretty much. But I don't think in the sense that like Cholak could work if we managed to just penetrate completely and, and we managed to feed balls into, into the box. But again, if you sort of match the strengths of Cholak and what traditional soft centre-backs are good at, he's going to probably be not better than they are by those centre-backs, but negate his quality there because what we see generally in soft centre-backs is that they're quite good near, quite large lumps of wood, to be fair, and they jump well. So I don't think in the fact that we're sort of negating one of his key skills and that if we're going to ask him to drop deep and, and sort of interplay, as we've seen, as we've mentioned, with the full fluidity of the three when Cantwell, Kent and Morelos played, you're just going to set him up for failure. So I think if we're able and our game plan is just load the box completely and cross the ball, which I don't think will be good against Partick Thistle, as our, as our disparity in quality should be sort of best advantaged by playing through them, not over them, then Cholak and Morelos could work. But in an ideal world, I would just see just Morelos. I, I think for as much as Cholak is a flat track bully and he's scoring well, I just think we'll need more penetrative skill. Um, but again, I really wouldn't be surprised if he plays and scores a hat-trick just on the basis that he, he showed great form of doing so and scoring goals. And we easily could win 6-0 against Partick and so if everything goes right. I think one of the things, apart from the kind of ongoing orgy of drugs and violence, uh, one of the things I love working for, for Jersey and doing stuff for Jersey is we've got a fast, fantastic range of uh, contributors and I, I love that thing where I know we all become entrenched in our positions sometimes when we're, when we're, we're, we're voicing our opinions in football. I love that kind of moment we get people on, uh, usually shows I'm not on, I can sit back and listen to it properly, who change my mind about something. You know, I actually genuinely put a point across, not in an aggressive way, but you think, oh God, yeah, that's right. You know, it makes you think again. Uh, for instance, you're, you're talking about Cantwell. I wasn't interested in signing Todd Cantwell, and then Doogie and Stuart Weir were on a show a, a few weeks ago, um, just basically kind of say, you know, just common sense stuff, and they just totally convinced me. And I was like, yeah, and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm really hoping that's going to continue to, to bear fruit. Their, their opinion was right, and and mine was wrong. But yourself and David Fraser, Patrick, one one night you guys were on a pod. Again, I wasn't on it. I was listening to it. And I was getting to a stage, I was quite happy with Borna Barisic. This is before the World Cup, and I was still thinking, no, Borna's getting back to being really useful. He's getting those crosses in. Um, and yourself, and David, David does this a lot, um, it just destroys, in the nicest possible way, it destroys a kind of preconception I've got by just hitting you with some hard facts. And you think, yeah, totally ch- changing my thinking. You guys did the same. You make me feel kind of, kind of almost anti-Diluvian, loving Borna, he's going to hit the violin and cross it style. Yilmaz, we know he's out for another three weeks, but you... You were saying yourself and David were putting a great case um, as to why he should be ultimately preferred, not just an understudy, 
um, to, to Bonner. But now since Bonner's come back from World Cup, he's a kind of he's a, a numbers machine. You know, he's getting the goals now. He's been getting the assists. Are you any closer to changing your mind about that, or do you still think ultimately Yilmaz is going to come in and take over, and should? No, I haven't changed my mind, but I'm very happy to see Bonner doing well. Um, I, I think his his style, in the sense that he is at best when he's playing well, a numbers machine on the basis that he's probably one of the best crossers of the ball I've seen at Rangers and probably in general football, but he just struggles in most facets outside of that. Um, so he is what we need in our, on our sort of in our wings and forwards guys who just get numbers despite not playing that well because he he could put in a, a really poor game and still come out with an assist, um, which is which is good to him and it's good for his numbers and ultimately hopefully uh, the best case scenario is he's playing well but. He only has 18 months left in his contract. Hopefully someone reads the assist column on, on BBC Sports Stats and sees a guy who's got nine assists and like, oh, wow, we'll throw some money at him because I do think we're best positioned to probably sell him in the summer and get any money back we can. Say thank you for the, I think he said, probably you can say two and a half good seasons and two and a half bad to mediocre seasons. I think I think that first one he had was absolutely terrible and he scored the goal, uh, the free kick against St. Mirren and then became the sort of second coming of Roberto Carlos in the sense he was just sending <laughs> balls and every free kick he thought he was going to score. But I just do think on the basis of profiles, like you could have Borna playing at 10 out of 10, but the basis of what he does just doesn't fit per se uh, as well as what Yilmaz does in a 7 out of 10 Yilmaz position or performance is more mutually beneficial for the rest of the side in the basis of what he does, uh, his tendencies and how that fits in with the greater tactical scheme than what Borna does. That's not to say Borna can't be successful in this range of sim. We've seen him do it for two and a half seasons and specifically in the last couple of weeks, he's looked better. Um, but I just do think on the basis of what Yilmaz does well, slip passes, penetrate the ball, make more advantage of the greater space, whereas Borna is very much a Borna could be very good for, for any team in Scotland on the basis that every team will have two or three opportunities to cross the ball, play it wide, whereas Yilmaz is fit for the sort of high possession system in which we can extrude peak sort of value out of him. And I think what we'll see is hopefully once he returns, um, I, I don't think it'll be that quick per se to get him playing immediately just because Borna's playing well. And if he starts in three weeks, he's probably five weeks from being completely match, fix, match fit. I think we'll see the best of him hopefully I really hope towards the end of the season, but if not, after the preseason, and, and we have to remember he's really, really incredibly young as well. So we've got the best part of what hopefully should be four years of his contract or whatever. But I do think the bonus situation will be one to have an eye on in the summer because um, I wouldn't have been surprised last year if we let him go. But obviously, um, beyond what I probably would have suggested that we saw them last summer, it's good that we've kept on to him because Elmas has been injured. So we need someone to play there. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he leaves in the summer, but if he continues to do so at his current form, we might have to question that. But I, I still am firmly in the, in the Yilmaz camp, but I'm obviously biased by the fact that I, I watched him for two years before he came and I'm a fan of Turkish football. So, Aye, And obviously uh, our thoughts, obviously with uh, everybody in, in Turkey just now, um, a part of the world you know well, Patrick? Yes, uh, it's not the part of Turkey I know very well, but I have a lot of colleagues and, and people I've written with who have friends and family in the Kata and Malatya and have uh, been sort of just completely paralyzed with anxiety and all that. Um, so obviously right. we send our best wishes. Uh, if you can donate, there's a sort of literary of good G, um, GNOs to donate towards. Uh, it's a sort of advised against donating to the government just because there is some sort of confusion as to what their motivations are. But I, I forget the name, but there's also a literary of footballers who are auctioning their football kits. So I think Mary Demiral, who's the Juventus centre-back, is auctioning his Messi signed jersey. So if someone uh, has £100,000 to go and wants to sign Messi jersey and wants to give it to a good cause, 
um, there's examples of that. But if not, I think any money uh, will be beneficial. Uh, and if not, just the support. I absolutely heartbreaking scenes, uh, and hope everybody can kind of help them uh, get their way out of that that terrible situation. Yeah, and as I say, um, just every time I watch Borner now and I see how well he's doing, I'm actually instead of thinking, you know, oh, I'm right, you know, I'm being proved right, I'm thinking, and Yilmaz is going to come in and he's and we're going to be even better. You know, it's like it's, it's spoiled for choice. You know, it's not not an entrenched position, and and entrenched position. Talking of which, uh, the old European Super League, uh, a favourite kind of. Social media uh, arguing, social media battleground. It's, it's raised its head again uh, this week. It's no coincidence. It's uh, been a bit of a uh, a slow news week. Um, but I think it's also no accident that, that you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus are essentially, you know, behind the, the front of a, a PR company uh, are using a slow news week, uh, a, a week when there's no European football being played to to, to raise uh, this issue again, kind of stealthily. I also feel it's kind of symbolic that. Um, this week of all week, we've got the, the Club World Championship final um, on Saturday night featuring Real Madrid against not um, uh, even an African side that never made a South American side, but against uh, a Saudi Arabian side um, as the, the, the Gulf state money's increasingly creeping into the game and kind of raising the European, top European clubs to the standards we got Russian money uh, under Abramovich and also American money as well, but to the standards that we kind of saw in in the American sport and the NFL, we've got the Super Bowl this week. And I, I felt as if when the, the Super League uh, was raised as an issue, you know, properly a couple of years ago, I, I just thought it was, it was inevitable and we'd probably see a, a kind of situation where, you know, it was a, a bit like the, the history of the NFL, where it starts off two rival leagues become two conferences subsumed under the kind of the umbrella of the, the NFL, the, the Super Bowl kind of brings them together. It was just going to be UEFA, the countries who, you know, PSG and Bayern weren't interested but they would eventually, you know, end up getting getting taken over. But do you think it's, it's, it's inevitability, Patrick? And uh, what do you think Rangers' position is in, in all of this? I, I mean, I, I'm not sure if the European Super League is inevitable, but obviously we're shuffling in some capacity of the, the money and the competition dynamics will happen. It is happening in the, the 2024, 25 Swiss-style Champions League, I think it's what's being re- yeah. rebranded as, or that's, that's the model... I haven't really looked at that even much. Um, I think the range of position is that regardless of what happens, we'll be on the outside looking in. We might, on the basis of that, we have a fantastic fan base and we've been rising up the European rankings. We might be invited to assume a position in the second tier or whatever, but it, it would purely be on the sort of making the numbers. So whatever whatever we do, uh, firmly the, the sort of the people in, in Switzerland or wherever the, the Super League is based won't be thinking about Rangers when they're making their decisions, which is sad because I think clubs like Rangers and then across the, the continent and the, and the world at our level are probably what makes football great. Teams in which are they don't trade on sort of the necessity of trolling other fan and fans and high quality signings and tons of money, but rather on just classic going to the games, making friends and the sort of paternalistic ideals of football, bring your son and obviously daughters and mothers coming as well, but the traditional part of it and the sort of fraternal attitudes of it. So I, I don't think we're necessarily the case study, um, but I also don't want to sort of down anyone who wants to join it. Uh, I think, it could be good. I'm a massive fan of the Euroleague, which is the the sort of Champions equivalent for basketball in Europe. And what they mm-hmm. do is a league of 20 uh, who plays each other twice thir- or something like that. It's upwards of 30 games. And it's sort of a closed shop. There's seven permanent members and then five members have a 10-year license and then there's six who play in it for every year. And I really enjoy that. 
But I enjoy that on the basis that I don't support a European basketball team very much. I kind of like Fenerbahce just because of the, the football connections, but I have no real connection to any of the basketball teams. So I don't w- really care who plays. Obviously, I like to see the, the Darbys. So when Real Madrid and Barcelona play, it's fun. And Red Star and Partizan. So I'd love to see them there. But I am there as a pure fan. So if I'm looking at the European Super League from that sort of casual fan who's living in the United States and doesn't have a, a local team sport or is living in Saudi or, or in Singapore or in Japan and they support their local team and then they're looking to European football, I can't blame them for wanting to see the best teams play. Um, as for me, I'm, I'm not really fussed because whatever happens, as I said, we won't be the centre of attention and incapacity. Um, I'm happy and I've loved the European football and our out- outputs for the last five years. And I have to understand that's probably an anomaly in the greater sense that we won't have such extended, not dominance, but success uh, at that point. But I would like for it to just continue as it is. I don't see any reason to reinvent the wheel. Um, But if anything does happen with the Super League, I'll be a lot happier for Rangers' names in it. But if you were to give me a sort of binary yes or no, I'd I'd say no on the basis that what we have continues because it's it's a good system. Um, And European football generally has been ruined by money. And I don't see this as as a... sort of step towards that any more so than the Premier League getting half a billion a year or whatever it's in the TV money. I, I feel um, the last proposal a couple of seasons ago, you know, no relegation, that again, that that, that kind of reeked to me of the American, uh, the, the, the conferences, the franchise system. Um, and I feel as if as a Rangers supporter, I was wanting to write it off, but I couldn't really given that, I know it was over 30 years ago, but Rangers were at the heart, we were foremost in the development of the Champions League, which was set up to kind of stave off the threat of what was it always going to be a breakaway European league and I think it's almost come to the point where it's we've got a European Super League you know and I, I've lived from seeing us having three cups and the Cup Owners Cup European Cup and the UEFA Cup to we now have three leagues and they're integrated you get promotion from the Conference League into the Europa League you get promotion from the Europa League into the and if you win the thing outright you you, you go into the the higher competition and last season I, I think unfortunately it was almost kind of laboratory conditions for us to find out exactly that yeah we would be at, at you know like a championship levels like a second tier side uh, doing so well you know losing uh, the, the Europa League with the narrowest of margins uh, last season and then yeah, absolutely stuffed beyond all belief in the Champions League when we stepped up a division uh, this season but I, I think a thing that's highlighted to me which I can have offshoot of this discussion even last season, on our way to only the fifth European final in our history, a lot of Rangers fans were kind of almost saw it as a distraction, like going hysterical with us tonight at Ibrox and then going hysterical in a completely other way uh, when we dropped two points to Motherwell the, the following Sunday or dropped two points at, at Tanadice. It was almost as if they were more interested in winning domestic trophies than they were in European success. And this is something that's come up again just in a few days. I think it was just yesterday, actually, that it was, it was raised again, European Super League uh, as a possibility, that people would rather us winning Scottish trophies than playing at the kind of highest level in Europe. It seems to be a misunderstanding. I, I don't get it personally. You know, um, I understand aspect. Obviously, I want to, Rangers to, to, to win the league, uh, win, win the Premiership. I want us to win, you know, domestic cups. We'll be talking about that. Is there a kind of misunderstanding that this, this kind of thing of, you know, the, the amount that you win is better rather than the intrinsic value of what you're winning? It's almost like that meme Celtic fans were setting out a couple of seasons ago that St. Johnston had won the League Cup and the Scottish Cup, and that was like, that was better than us winning the league because it was two trophies rather than one. Um, is this kind of raised a, a, a difficulty with the Rangers support and how they actually see their ambitions for Rangers? 
Yeah, I, I mean, as football fans, especially as Rangers fans, we've desensitized success, obviously, less so in the last few years. And we're all selfish and fickle, so we want to win what we're in, and when we're out of it, we want to pretend like that wasn't important, and the next one is more important. So let's say if we lose the League Cup, obviously, hope not, not home, we will then be saying, obviously, the Scottish Cup is the more important cup, and if we can only win one, it'll be the Scottish Cup. Um, I personally, I, I don't think most people would agree with this. I think it's probably a wildly unpopular opinion. I had more fun in our European run last year than at any point during the 55 big run. So I'm, but I'm also of a different sort of caliber or not caliber, but background in most Rangers fans. And I obviously with the 55 behind closed doors that also sort of not dampened it, but obviously made a different dynamic to it. But my epitome and my favorite part of football is obviously I, I enjoy going to watch Scottish Premiership games, but there's for me there's nothing better than a team coming from overseas to play and the vice versa. So if you're getting to go to a different European city and play, um, but I equally understand why someone would love just the, the classic orthodoxy of, of winning the league, best team over the 38 games. But to me, I like going and playing against other teams in, in different countries. Um, obviously, that leads to less success in terms of trophies, but it's more relative success as beating Dortmund versus winning the League Cup. Obviously, the League Cup provides you with a trophy. Uh, it goes down written in the embers of history, but the pure adulation an underdog nature of beating Dortmund to me was probably better than the League Cup, in my my opinion. And again, I know that will be wildly unpopular, but those are the sort of single single events in his or in your lifetime that probably won't happen again on the basis that we won't play that team again. We're not guaranteed to play them four times as we do in the league. Um, and that is forever etched, and there might be banter between the clubs for the years to come, like when we beat Galatasaray and, and that sort of storyline after that imbued all over and that would never happen in Scotland because we would have far too many times to rewrite that story so I like the sort of distinct almost patchwork nature of European football but again if you were to offer me sort of in 10 years straight 30 or 3 uh, treble each season for 10 years in Scotland or like one Europa Conference League trophy I'd obviously pick the domestic success it's all relative uh, and hopefully the, the best case scenario is we finally are able to mesh the season of the 55 win with the season after with European finals. But obviously that would be maybe a bit too much I'm asking for. Uh, no, no harm in asking for too much. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it would be quite funny if we'd actually gone, on, if, if we you know, <laughs> won that Europa League, we could have turned around and said, well, a, a Europa League and a Cup Winners Cup must be better than a European Cup one in 1967, uh, going by that, that <laughs> same maxim, yeah, that, that same rubric. But uh, no, I, f- I feel as if I, I was the same as yourself, Patrick. I was totally, like I, even getting in a European group stage, to me, get through a European group stage was, was worth more than the League Cup. You know, a Dortmund was worth more than a Scottish Cup because... You know, um, nobody outside of Scotland gives a hoot about who even wins the league here. It's about, you know, your, your European profile. But having seen the, the worst home defeat of my life uh, in Europe this season, yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I've maybe been forced to change my mind. And I, I'm, I'm all about the Scottish Cup on Sunday and uh, the League Cup in a few weeks' time. Uh, um, listen, I better end it there. We've gone over the hour, folks. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to Patrick. Um, a, a big thank you to him um, for his time and his, his highly enjoyable observations. And a, a massive thank you to all of you for, for watching and listening. Don't forget to give us a like and uh, hit that subscribe bell if you like what we're doing here. And of course, we also have a fantastic Jers uh, website, recently given a, a plus refurb where you can engage and chat about tonight's pod and all other matters of Rangers on our friendly discussion forums, as well as dipping into a host of great articles penned by 
our esteemed band of contributors. Um, I will be doing a bit of uh, post-match reaction uh, outside Ibrox uh, after the game on Sunday, hopefully with uh, Colin Armstrong, but Colin um, will have to get himself up the road uh, pretty quickly, especially after the, the extra time and, and the penalties um, <laughs> from outside Ibrox um, to, get, to get back home to host Sunday evening's uh, main pod where he'll be joined by John McCallum uh, and Stuart Weir to, re- to review what is hopefully uh, a great victory against Thistle on Sunday. But in the meantime, folks, thanks very much for joining us and uh, talk to you again soon. Good night.